0: We've been recording, you know, real pods, but kind of with the outlook that it's kind of like practice. Mm -hmm. So, um, thankfully, everything that we've recorded has actually turned into a pod. We haven't had to, like, scrap an entire recording just because it sucked or whatever. Well, I mean, it still might suck, but (laughs) it's good enough for us to, to publish.
1: Hey guys, welcome to Papa Culture, a podcast with me, John. And Anton. And we're two dads that talk about pop culture, things that we're into, and and sometimes talk about how it relates to us being dads.
0: If the stuff that we're into, you know, impacts our outlook on fatherhood and vice versa. If fatherhood impacts kind of what we're consuming at any particular
1: moment. Do you want to talk about updates?
0: Okay, so this is basically the uh, second podcast where we actually have a name. So you can find us on Twitter at Papa Culture Pod, P A P A Culture Pod.
1: Yeah, and you can also get us on SoundCloud once we, we upload these uh, episodes. It's taken us a while just to get going on recording and editing, but we've, we're kind of on a roll now.
0: All right, so let's let's move on man as we did last time let's kind of check in and and uh see what you've kind of been into right now
1: what i've been into uh i've been actually been spending some time catching up on tv and actually a side note and i know we do tangents all the time i was thinking even after we finally came up with our title i'm like oh you know what two friends catching up on TV or just catching up with each other. That could have been our title because two weeks in a row, we've been just talking about catching up or two episodes in a row. And third episode, we, talk, we always talk about catching up. So there's a little bit of a, that double layer of two friends catching up and then also catching up on all this content.
0: Double meaning is definitely big with uh, podcast titles. Yeah.
1: <laughs> but Last last episode, I sp- spent a whole chunk of time talking about wrestling and talking about how WrestleMania we could be up to like fourteen hours or more. Uh, this the past two weeks, I've only watched two hours of wrestling. Wow! I took a break, a conscious break.
0: Really? That's, yeah, that's huge for you.
1: It is, and it opened up a lot of time to delve into other things
0: so what Um, other things man break it down
1: so the things i've been really been into the past couple weeks has been just again catching up on stuff and particularly it's been books it's been comic books okay so one of the things i just finally read and it's kind of i have a bad bad habit of doing this with all books is kind of getting in halfway through then putting the book away and then finding it maybe a year later and going like oh I should probably finish this book and I, I guess I shouldn't have an excuse when it's a, it's a graphic novel because they're supposed to read faster they actually don't read faster for me but um so I've been reading I finally caught up and finished this graphic novel called This One Summer by two cousins um Mariko Tamaki and uh, I forgot her cousin's name but basically it's about these i think they're probably pre pre pre-teens who there's two these two families that every summer go up to the lake and they spend time together so the the two girls the two best friends they're uh they're summer friends only and they just pretty much spend time at this lake particularly one of the things i was interested in the book while I was reading it was I knew that for some reason that book had been challenged by librarians or some parents to be banned and or um, yeah banned or just removed from the library because of inappropriate content. While I was indulging in the story and the the graphic storytelling I was trying to figure out okay Trying to do a mental checklist of this is the reason why this was possibly challenged. So I came up with a list and I was actually going to write about it, which I didn't do. (laughs) We have a podcast, so I could talk about it.
0: That's right. There you go.
1: So obviously, the the first thing is that there's a lot of cussing in it. I mean, because it's about preteen girls, you assume that the target audience is for preteens. And I think it's totally perfect for preteens. But there is cussing in it, which for me, I don't really give a crap about there is.
0: That seems. Well, yeah, mean, go ahead. I was just going to say that that seems a little weak for it to be challenged band, but I'm guessing there's other things too.
1: When you say it's weak, that the interesting thing about it, well, it's not really interesting. It's kind of sad to me is that when I was like, I went through a, a list of other graphic novels that have been challenged. Mm-hmm. And some of them honestly just say content in, inappropriate for age, quote unquote, and a lot of the times it's inappropriate just because they cuss. Gotcha. C- because there's profanity. And if there's any kind of sexual content or any uh, mentions of any sexual content, that's always going to be a big kicker. But a lot of them also, I mean, the big pieces, the two big biggest things are probably going to be sex and any LGBT content. Right. And then this book didn't really have that much so much, but um, they did mention a lot of different, like, things about sex i'm like well preteens that's what they talk about teenagers that's what they talk about right for sure it's summer two girls um probably going through puberty or they definitely are going through puberty kind of discovering things but then there's also just uh there's the the drama between the main character and her family there's some tragic things that happen to the family and i was wondering if that would be an issue too because you know, some people, some parents, and some librarians are just hyper sensitive about protecting anyone, essentially, of any age, about any realities. Right. But it was it was really, 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 really good when I first started it. I was like, okay, it's really interesting. It's good. I like how uh, the story is being told graphically. But as it got into it, the narrative push of it really caught caught me. Um, so that, that's what, one thing I've been totally into before I talk more, what's something you've been into?
0: I'm still kind of keeping up with, uh, kind of my current, current TV slate, which is, uh, the leftovers, which is in its final season, third and final season, uh, better call Saul in its third season as well. And Fargo season three. Oh, coincidentally, they're all season three is weird. Did you watch breaking bad at all?
1: Yeah, I okay. watched all of that.
0: Yeah. Are you, do you watch Better Call Saul?
1: I watched maybe the first seven, six, seven episodes of season one and uh, just got backlogged on my DVR and eventually changed my DVR. So I lost. Gotcha,
0: gotcha. So, I mean, obviously not really spoiling anything if you've watched Breaking Bad, but um, this is the season where Bob Odenkirk's character transitions into so, Saul Goodman. Um, which is from Breaking Bad, and it's been kind of rewarding. The, the payoff has been great so far. I really enjoy the show, and critics are always trying to determine if it's better than Breaking Bad. Mm-hmm. Um, it's definitely different, but equally well done. You know what I mean?
1: Yeah. Is Vince Gilligan like deeply involved in that episode, that series too?
0: I think he's the co-creator of it,
1: but not the he's not the main showrunner.
0: I'm not quite sure to be honest. Um but aesthetically you can see like a through line uh between Breaking Bad and Better Call Saul. Mhm. So it it definitely lives in the same world like visually as right. far as I'm concerned, you know. Definitely. Um speaking of Breaking Bad, did you ever hear about basically this one video some dude cut a two-and-a-half-hour movie, like, using all the episodes of Breaking Bad. Really? Yeah, I was looking through some of my files, and then I, um, I realized that I had it, and I was like, oh, shoot, I should watch this. Yeah. Maybe one of these days I'll, I'll send it over to you, and maybe that'll be, like, a subject that we talk about on the pod or something.
1: Yeah, that would be really interesting. The, <laughs> what I know of The leftovers because, you know, watching some of it and watching Better Call Saul, I haven't watched Fargo at all. Uh, thematically they're all a little bit well not even thematically it's more uh, their voices are a little bit different I mean very different aren't they or is Better Call Saul and Fargo kind of similar in their kind of dark well it's super you know legitimate drama but there's kind of a dark humor to them
0: definitely Better Call Saul and Fargo definitely have darker humor or like have dark humor in them. Yeah, the I
1: leftovers ha- is pretty deliberate, isn't it? Yes, the leftovers is
0: um, it's heavy. The season one is depressing, and I would understand if folks, you know, just kind of can't get through it. It took me two times to actually get through. I went through the first three when it was when it premiered, mm-hmm. and it was just way too heavy. I then had to get back into it right before season two came out because everyone was talking about how insane season two was. Hmm. So I basically uh went back and rewatched the entire season one and then caught up to season two of maybe about two to three weeks in and kind of haven't looked back. It's uh yeah. it's a fun show to kind of analyze I don't think I've been into uh, the analysis of a show as deeply as Leftovers, maybe since Mad Men. You know, when I was watching Mad Men a lot, I kind of made it a point to watch it twice within that week. And then I would read kind of Deconstructions by Tim Goodman, a mm-hmm. uh, TV critic, when The Leftovers came out because everything was like so deliberate. And... um like every shot was carefully crafted every kind of music musical mm. like cue and everything with the characters and the performances and the editing it was like i needed to just kind of like soak it in and then read about it and see what other people thought analytically yeah.
1: like if you were if other people were were getting the same same message from the framing and yeah all the layers like that and even
0: and you know and and to be honest like sometimes that show is like super dense where i even need like a recap and i have to remind myself like what happened because you're still there's some times where you're watching that show something happens and you're kind of still processing it and there's still like 40 minutes left of the show yeah that you need to kind of go through in terms of Heaviness leftovers is one of the heaviest shows I've watched ever. Yeah. Better call Saul and um, and even to an extent Fargo; those are the ones that are a little bit easier to like. Be on your phone, yeah, and check Twitter while you're watching. It's easier to just like rewind thirty seconds and get caught up, no problem.
1: Right? Do you think you're you're really into the leftovers? Partly because it feeds into your. Your creative process as someone who does or you know who has a background in making film and is still a filmmaker
0: um i would say yes but that's kind of secondary i think for me the story and the characters are so so it's so rich Mm -hmm. the one part that I think about a lot as a you know as a filmmaker is how to get the actors into that headspace.
1: Mm-hmm. Hmm.
0: Each of these characters loses some person of significance in their lives, you know, during this departure, right? Yeah. So there hasn't really been anything in, in history that has happened like that for, like, these actors to kind of pull from, right? Right. Um, so just kind of seeing how these characters are analyzing their current situation, how they move forward with their own lives. You know, there's there's something definitely, like, tragic and mm-hmm. sad. And it's, it's definitely, like, an emotional show. And... um as, for me as a filmmaker I'm always thinking about you know how the director gets these characters into that headspace um, because the performances are like super duper good
1: yeah it's interesting because that's definitely not something I ever think about because I mean I, I mean I made films in high school <laughs> and messed around in college and stuff but right, um, right. yeah the whole process of priming your your performers definitely not something that would be like my main uh, analytical process
0: yeah and you know to kind of add to that too is not only with this show but for a show like Game of Thrones or basically all of these shows that I watch right like there's mm-hmm. there's a script that you have to adhere to where you have to tell the story you know and you have x number of days to pull it off you know to shoot it and and things like that right so as a director your job is to make sure that you hit every single note that these writers intend right Mm -hmm. so and you're trying to do that on a a time schedule let's take game of thrones for example like i need these two characters they're going to have a really important scene Then you have to decide, like, all right, well, how am I going to frame this? Or what's the blocking that these actors have to do to make sure that, you know, it hits the right tone that you want?
1: Yeah.
0: And considering that it has to tie in with the episodes before and the episodes after, if you're directing one of these things, you might direct two episodes at a time. Mm -hmm. So you kind of have to know... You know what happened two episodes before and then what's going to happen two episodes after to make sure like that you're doing right by the characters and basically the rest of the story you know right so i think about that a lot maybe not during the episode but definitely after when i'm like trying to analyze everything you know
1: yeah there's the time also when i i think i i forgot what it was or when it was but for headier content that wasn't just um not not heavy in terms of the content like you know something hyper political or tragic but when the storytelling gets a little bit more abstract or there's a lot more play with the visuals and the music and then
0: like legion different things what's that like legion
1: like legion um (laughs) I, It was a struggle for me at, at some point to actually watch those shows because I just spent so much, or those movies or shows, spending so much time trying to assess or analyze and figure things out rather than just sinking into the story first. Right. And then trying to figure all that stuff out afterwards.
0: Yeah, I mean, um, I, that's why I used yeah. to watch like Mad Men twice, right? Like mm. I'd watch it once just to kind of get the story then I'd watch it again just to try, try and analyze how they how they shot the scenes and how they edited it and, you know, just kind of like any nuances and performance that I may have missed. But you know what? I've got a kid now. I've got two kids now. I can't necessarily do that, you know? Yeah. Uh, you know, and this is kind of going back to basically the purpose of the pod is to kind of discuss pop culture and, and the stuff that we're interested in through the frame of or through the lens of uh, fatherhood and... You know, I think that's probably why I'm reading a lot more about the episodes and how other people analyze it instead of trying to just do it myself.
1: I feel you. When you said you used to watch Mad Mad Men twice, I'm like, man, that's a lot of
0: time. It it is, man.
1: A lot of dedication. It's not a...
0: Well, the, the easy thing with that was like maybe you're folding laundry or something. Yeah. You know, and then you can just... You already know what yep. happened, so you don't have to keep a close eye. And you know what I'll do is uh, um, even sometimes—I think I've done this for maybe a couple of Leftovers episodes and definitely some Thrones episodes where I'll read about it. I'll watch it, then read about it, and then I'll, and I'll re-watch it and see if I can—if I agree with kind of the assessments that some of the other writers and critics are making about yeah. the show. But again— most of the time I don't have time to do that
1: mm-hmm. when I watch something or read something and it seems seems to be like a critical fave and had a lot of like commercial success as in just people actually liking it not necessarily with uh, money if I'm like oh, I don't know man I'm not sure if I really feel that <laughs> that's when I start googling the reviews and kind of going like let me read the bad reviews because
0: <laughs> well that's interesting yeah that makes a lot of sense when I feels this
1: way kind of thing Um, which was actually what I was doing with Legion
0: <laughs> oh really
1: yeah you know and I was watching stuff later at night when I'm already tired like we talked before about like how it's we haven't watched full games, or I haven't watched full games since Malcolm's been around because I just can't, right? And now I can a little bit easier because he his sleep schedule is kind of stabilized. But still, it's a little late. And so I love the first episode, the pilot, from the textures, the colors, the, the writing, the acting... Um, all the weird stuff i thought it was a perfect jumping off point like it's it's a deep dive automatically into this kind of weird space space for comic books and i have no beef with the the whole superhero world and even the beginning just the whole that song and how the the different scenes were framed and every every element kind of blended like naturally into the next whatever element
0: like his the montage of him kind of growing up with Mm -hmm. the yeah uh yeah yeah
1: because you know how the way that it was crafted certain like he was always going to be in the middle but there's other certain like shapes or things that just transitioned into the next scene in the same spot yeah
0: absolutely uh um when i saw that i was like all right i'm in like yeah i didn't even need to watch the whole the like the rest of that pile i was like all right whatever these guys are Whatever these guys are selling, I'm buying, dude.
1: Yeah, it's like one of the. Uh, it's like the intro, of the the Watchmen or the montage in Up. Like those are <laughs> yes, those things yes. that like, you know what? I'm gonna grab you right now, right? Yeah. Yep. So I love the pilot. I got really kind of frustrated with the second episode.
0: Hmm.
1: Because I felt like. It was just running around in circles. Um, and partly, you know, one of the issues is I fell asleep in the middle <laughs> of it. But um, I, I rewinded it and watched it again. And I still kind of felt like frustrated that obviously I really wanted to like it. And I loved the pilot. And then getting to the second episode, I just felt it was just, like I said, it was running in circles. It was... Um, I didn't really feel much advancement into anything, and so I'm still gonna watch, keep going because I hear it gets better. But I was a little frustrated with it, so then I started reading some reviews on like some people loving it, and then some people, some other critics saying it's, you know, has potential and other things. But (laughs) that's what kind of brought up when you're talking about that. Yeah, I didn't. Actually,
0: I didn't get like, a chance to. I, I, mean, I was definitely reading some stuff, particularly on the Ringer about it. There was certain certain criticism, um, particularly about the plotting and like the actual story that I think people had issues with, which was fair, you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. But I think for me, I was just like fully bought in. I was like, all right, cool, cool, you know, because even though there were elements that were there just primarily to advance plot it still gave you enough of that weird quirky stuff later yeah that was the most interesting thing yeah
1: well i think the weird quirky stuff is what really caught people i mean it's not not just that it's weird and quirky but obviously the craft of it is really done done well and the acting is done well but story-wise is where i was a little frustrated with that second that second episode and dude
0: aubrey plaza dude mm-hmm. i mean you'll see you'll see but you know, as a as a fan of hers from like uh, Parks and Rec, she's she's legit, dude. She is mm-hmm. legit in the show.
1: There was one critic that basically said, "Just be patient." This is after you know, like the the whole process of releasing the first three episodes, and the, that's what they're reviewing. Mm-hmm. There was one critic that said, "Just be patient," and I'm like is that really a fair ask of somebody that or of anybody that has other options in terms of watching stuff? it's not just like frivolous things, but there's obviously high quality content as a TV viewer.
0: I would say that is a fair ask if the, particularly with these, uh, cable shows because they're only getting like 13 episodes at most yeah like if you are doing like a network drama you know and there's 22 episodes of this thing and like three episodes in someone's like oh just be patient or even two episodes just just be patient it's like yeah i don't know man well definitely not
1: for network yeah
0: i mean i think it's a fair ask
1: i think uh, you know I, i guess it's it's not necessarily a question of fairness because I mean it is just TV. But <laughs> is that a slippery slope? Slippery slope for creators, given the landscape of TV. I mean, uh, you know, cable shows they have a little bit more leeway since they are the ratings aren't usually as important as right. other yeah yeah I hear you. metrics in terms of content and um consu- consumption. And maybe uh, maybe the question isn't necessarily for the crea- the critic, it's more for the creators. It's, it's just something I was, that was kind of mulling over when I was reading them. like, I don't know, like if it, if I want to have patience for something, especially considering that the first
0: episode was so good, For any creator, of course you know that there's a lot of other content that you'll be competing with. So you gotta put. You definitely have to like put your best foot forward. I mean, and I, you know, I think these creators are going at it, trying to tell the best story that they can. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. You know what shows have people recommended you to watch, where they're like, okay, give it three or four episodes, mm-hmm. and you'll be yeah. hooked. Yeah. With The Wire and Mad Men, I think.
1: Yeah. Well, see, the difference there is that if the if there's been a if a show has... Because it's old? It's run, like a library right? show? Because it's old. Even if it's like, a let's say, this season show, but you just haven't jumped in on it. Like, let's say, what's a good first season show this year? Whatever it is. And then someone, one of, like, say I watched eight episodes of it and go like, damn, it's really good. And I tell you, yeah, the first two, three episodes are kind of, yeah, but it really kicks in in the fourth episode. There's a track record there, in terms of a, a of a recommendation. But as a critic, when you're saying, "I've only watched the first three episodes," but trust me, you should you should have patience in the show. Hey, man, you only watched three episodes of this. How do you know, right?
0: Yeah, that that's definitely true. It's
1: a little bit different. So I I, I kind of go back. I, I think the the question of fairness of that that. If, if that question is fair, is actually more for the critic. Because sometimes I feel like critics like things because they know other people are going to like it. And to keep their street cred, they have to jump on board. That was a cool little experience of trying to figure out my thoughts and then finding that question. Huh. I don't know if that's a fair question. but So, you know, uh, when you were talking about... Um, actually, we, we were talking about some dope openings of tv shows or movies mm-hmm. like things that just really capture you from the get um and it's, it's purposeful i mean a montage you know is happening but the style of it is really capturing uh, your attention yeah that's kind of how i felt with moonlight and i know that we're not going to talk about moonlight now because you still have to watch it but um those are one of those things where like, yeah, I know I'm not a filmmaker, but I kind of can see where this person's storytelling and, uh, actually it's not even storytelling. It's more of a, um, controlling of the audience.
0: Yeah. Kind of thing.
1: Um, but when you watch it, let's talk about it. Cause yeah, for sure, dude, for it. sure.
0: I'm trying to get, maybe I'm going to try and get to it this weekend.
1: Yeah. yeah. You know, speaking of um, giving some things for, uh, some time, I was uh, I got into reading this miniseries on Marvel um, from Marvel on on Vision, the Vision character and the Avengers. Okay, and so he's some cybernetic AI structure, right? Um, but whether you watched the movies or read some books before, so I have no real connection to the, the character himself I'm not haven't been I'm not really into the Avengers that much in terms of the books but I read a lot about it like I was just hearing or reading on Twitter or random articles from comic book sites and or maybe some plugs here and there on podcasts on like hey you should read The Vision The Vision book is like the best book of 2015 or something hmm so I finally read it because I have uh, Marvel Unlimited and most of the books essentially come out six months after they were released in paper. Okay. In print, I mean. And so it cu- that caught me initially, like the first issue, I'm like, whoa, this is really interesting. The art was really interesting. The writing was really interesting. And it just didn't stop through the first. I mean, it, it's only 10 o- 10 issues because it's a miniseries but it was it's writing in a comic book especially from a superhero quote unquote superhero book that I haven't read in a long time where there was like layers and layers of of just it's kind of poetic it's kind of uh, really craftful and bringing in stories and layering different voices mm-hmm and I'm gonna talk about the a little bit later um, about, about something else with being a dad. But so the writer Tom King, he is a former CIA agent, and I don't know what happened with him going being in like Iraq or Afghanistan as a CIA agent on the ground. Book writer, <laughs> I don't know that that process for him, but
0: what a career is, change dude huh that's some career change
1: it is some lit, like crazy career change he actually has a book called the sheriff of babylon which is about some in in that and I'm, I'm i'm in the process of reading that but he is kind of blowing my mind in terms of how he writes huh and so you know i comics aren't for everyone especially like in terms of how it's told and it's a limited medium but if you wanted to check something i should read that and we could talk about that it's the vision um volume one and volume two from 2015 but i was at the comic book shop a couple weeks ago just catching up with the guys because i hadn't been there for like two months and i was just we were just talking about books that people were into and one of the guys at the comic book shop is a total batman guy and he's like hey have you read batman by tom king I'm like uh no i haven't i really like his vision book but i'm kind of here and there with superhero books because there's just way too many event comics and uh, too many interruptions into the story it's like yo let's get a character let's get a compelling story and then it gets interrupted with like a three issue crossover over something so eric the guy at the store was saying yeah i should pick it up I'm, like, I'm not sure if i can do it but you know screw it up let me pick it up it was part of a monster bill that day but anyway the first two issues of it of that first volume i'm like uh eh. it wasn't bad but it also was kind of just reading as a typical Batman book. And the series, before the, the writer, the creators before that kind of, they were ridiculously good too. And so, you know, reading a, a Batman book is, has a little bit of a different context after you're following a writer like that. It's Scott Snyder. Totally different writing style. But yeah, I got into Issue three and Issue four of that volume. I'm like, oh, here's where it really kicks in. <laughs> the the, was the it, abilities of the writer, Tom King. Oh,
0: okay. So it was it was the writing that kicked in. Yeah. In, in terms of his style.
1: Yeah, you know, he plays a lot with um, different methods of using dialogue so obviously in comic book there's lots of inner monologue but through the first two volumes there's a lot of like the paralleling of inner monologues that is totally relevant to the the panels that you see but you'll recognize that it's actually another character talking about a completely different scenario but with the same thematic elements for the character
0: oh huh, interesting
1: and obviously the artist is a huge part of the storytelling because I, I was the guy eric at the shop was <laughs> talking about how tom king on twitter took a screen capture of uh one of the pages he wrote and it was like one sentence of so like blah 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 and this is a full page and showed the picture of the the page and said i'm a i'm a genius writer." <laughs> Because the, the 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 artist that artist in particular created that that one sentence or two sentences, <laughs> but obviously he has a big play in that. So the volume two is actually even better. The artist is different, and the play on their words in the the books is just or the images are just really really good. I mean, it doesn't venture too far from um, a superhero book, but the the different ways to be to like i said like using the dialogue and using whatever the text he's using it is a lot of it's like poetic and a lot of it's just the chains
0: you know i'm really curious sometimes about the similarity between the relationship between the writer of a comic book or graphic novel and its artist And if it's similar in any way to maybe a screenwriter and the director or like the director and Mm -hmm. the cinematographer in terms of how they collaborate and, you know, how they basically attack the subject matter. Right. I'd love to watch like a interview or documentary with uh, about comic book writers and what that collaboration process is like with the artist.
1: Yeah, and I think it's changed a lot over. I mean, you know, when let's say like Stanley and Jack Kirby and some some of those guys in the 70s, 60s and 70s really got the ball rolling for Marvel. Obviously they were working on so many books together. And through the 80s and 90s I think it was very heavily writer first, artist second in terms of the storytelling. Hmm, okay. Image, you know, in the '90s came out when like there was a, the comic book explosion, and like Jim Lee and Rob Liefeld and all these other artists first started wanting to write their own characters. Some was better than others, obviously. But yeah, I mean, I think it. Would, I I would imagine it's pretty similar, especially with commercial comic books because
0: isn't that sometimes a draw the, what's that isn't that sometimes like the draw or like hey this this writer and this artist are teaming up to do this yeah this yeah property or whatever right
1: yeah um, and if they have a history of working well together that's you know a big deal and
0: i mean i, I could definitely see the parallels between like oh the screenwriter of this movie and the director of this movie and the cinematographer of this movie, they're all Mm going to do something together. And then, you know, you can see, you know, how partnerships have worked in the past with maybe previous projects and stuff like that. And you're just like, yeah, I'm in dude. That's, that's pretty much with me with, um, with like the new blade runner. Right. Like, so it's, uh, Roger Deakins, he's a cinematographer and he's like, arguably the best one ever uh, or the best one working right now. And then um, the director is a, a Denis Villeneuve who did Arrival and Sicario and Prisoners and everything he does is I love. So, you know, you just basically just name those two people. And I'm like, all right, I'm in.
1: You told me a, a long time ago where I was just talking about directors. I don't um, know when where I was creaming over a certain director or whatever and obviously not knowing the whole craft of filmmaking is dope is the visuals this and that whatever and then you're like um actually you should shout out to the synonym photographer because i'm like oh didn't even know the um i had no idea of that process
0: <laughs> well sometimes as a director too it's usually yeah. like uh I mean, that's, that's the, that's the whole collaboration thing. You know, you can give, even, even with a partnership with the, in between a director and a cinematographer, like sometimes a director is very much in control of what he wants to kind of do with a particular script. And then, then, and then the cinematographer just kind of helps execute that. And sometimes the cinematographer provides input. Um, and to the director about how they want to kind of shoot a scene and, and, and things like that. So I think the good directors are the ones that allow the cinematographer to, you know, help drive when it comes to stuff like that.
1: It sounds like, um, the more empowering bosses or coaches. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I think it was revolutionary road.
0: Was it revolutionary road?
1: that the sam um
0: sam mendes
1: sam mendes movie yeah yeah right. i think i was creaming over that first it was a really good movie i, yeah. I like but roger you were Deakins. telling me about, yeah roger yeah. deacon
0: shot that yeah i believe yeah
1: when when you watch moonlight i'm really curious i, I really want to chop it up with you about that because obviously you being
0: all right cool i'm gonna take notes more, while more i wa- while i watch it We'll take Does notes it, and then we're gonna i mean
1: there's obviously some shots that are super deliberate and then after reading some stuff about how how the director worked with the cinematographer and stuff. i mean obviously it was a smaller set because it's an indie right but, um yeah. or smaller crew but yeah i'm really curious how you you process that from your perspective
0: all right yeah of, um Maybe the next episode will just be on moonlight. Sure. Just so the episode doesn't last for like two hours.
1: There's a lot, there's a lot to talk about in that movie. Um, I bet from multiple different angles, but yeah, when you watch it, let's talk about it. Anything else that you've been diving into before I ask you?
0: You know what? No, not really, not really. Uh, haven't really been into dive into a whole lot. You know, it's like basketball playoffs right now. And that, yeah. you know, sometimes I think about it and it's like, if I didn't like sports, I'd have so much time to do other stuff. Yep. You know what I mean?
1: That's another thing. Yeah. I've had to put like baseball in the back burner. It, um, it's a good
0: thing. The giants suck right now. Cause it's easier to put that in the back burner.
1: Well, the A's and the giants are both battling for last place in their own division. So <laughs>
0: All right, cool. So that might make it like a easy summer for me to just like get into full to make decisions. Yeah, to make decisions, do some creative oh. stuff.
1: Yeah, predict- I mean it's always a decision. It's always on the table. Like, no, nah, I really wanted to listen to the, or watch the A's game, but I'm like, oh man, there's this podcast I can listen to, but <laughs> or there's do this you-
0: there's this podcast I got to record or prepare for. Oh yeah, for. or edit.
1: You? Um, so. Till- one forty in the morning
0: hey you had fun though it's all good
1: dude i had a, a lot of fun that was um because <laughs> you know i obviously i've done lightweight editing and stuff on like just silly projects in the past but um until i have a reason to do it i'm not going to do it so yeah yeah for sure for sure, to chop up stuff um Do you, so I actually, this is, uh, this isn't about the dad stuff, but I actually really dig, um, like process, creative process, podcasts, or articles. Okay. Like, uh, of you know, people, you know, some people say, oh, you don't want to know how the sausage is made. I'm like, no, I really want to know how the sausage is made.
0: Yeah. I, I usually do too, for sure.
1: So I've been digging into some some more like writers like i'm here and there with the writers panel um through the nerdist okay with ben blacker and ben acker but um it's just really interesting to hear the processes a lot of it's like tv writers because that's what they they do yeah um but there's some other podcasts that interview comic book artists or writers or colorists or letterers and I love that stuff.
0: How do you find these? Is it through like Twitter or are you like, you know, in your, what's, what's Google's with Google play store. Is that where you get the, is that where you get podcasts from or do you use no. like Stitcher? Or? Well,
1: usually I would try to find it. I'll, I'll look at Stitcher and i um, I don't use Stitcher as much anymore. I'm just been using Google, but, um, the one that I was rec- I just recently added was, um, I googled Tom King, the writer of, oh, thanks. Okay. Google phone. Uh, <laughs> I googled the name Tom King and podcast. And that got me to this podcast called Word Balloon and essentially that writer interviews a bunch of writers, other like comic book writers or creators. Um, and that got me into, yeah, that, that part, but yeah, there's not too many of them. I mean, there's obviously lots of podcasts about industry, like deeper into the industry kind of things. Um, but there's not too much like for comic books or at least that I like the voice of whoever's the main interviewer.
0: Yeah. I need to look for some more. I haven't really been listening to much in the way of creative you know creative process stuff i used to listen to uh, creative screenwriting a lot Mm. Uh, that was a really great one it's usually like it it happens after a screening of whatever movie and the writer is interviewed pretty much right after the screening and you know in front of a studio audience and it's moderated and Mm. you know it's it's i think when i was living in la there were a couple of like events i wanted to try and get to where you can watch the film and then kind of sit in on the recording of of that pod after but i don't think i was able to get around to it it was like be in hollywood at like 6 p.m and no way man yeah (laughs) that's not happening i really should you know force myself to start listening there was another a uh, podcast that I started listening to recently called The Wandering DP and it's uh basically a cinematography podcast. Mm-hmm. But sometimes that gets kind of that delves too deep into like gear and stuff that's like really yeah. like the minutiae of being a cinematographer and I'm not really a cinematographer. I, I shoot stuff, but you know, I'm not I'm not trying to be about that life
1: yeah what do you consider yourself more in in terms of that in in terms of that game?
0: That's a great question. I ask myself that almost every day, <laughs> especially when people I'm at like a networking thing or whatever they're like, "Oh, so what do you do? And it's tough, man, because there's a part of me that still wants to kind of write and direct and produce my own personal projects whether it's a narrative like short film or i've had really big dreams about trying to write like a feature-length screenplay and get that produced mm-hmm. and stuff like that but over the years it's just kind of like i don't know maybe it's this definitely partly fatherhood that was just like mm, mm-hmm. maybe not that's that's it's a young man's game you know mm-hmm. <laughs> uh uh Damn, dude. I don't know. I, I guess. Uh, you, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Like, if...
1: You've been keeping... Well, you've been, you know, at least making sure that your skills are on point. You've been doing these um, really, really short shorts of uh, Ginny and some other things. So, well, why are you doing that? I'm doing... Other it, than, obviously, documenting your beautiful daughter and stuff, but... <laughs> It's from, from a craft perspective.
0: The reason I'm doing it is basically to keep this skill sharp. I don't particularly think I'm that great of like an editor or shooter. So mm-hmm. it's definitely practice. It's familiarizing myself with the equipment that I'm using, the mm-hmm. software I'm using for editing. You know, sometimes I'll see uh, a technique that might be popular in videos and I'll try to emulate that. So a lot of it are just like exercises really. You know, if I'm talking to a potential client, then I would consider myself like, Oh, I'm a, I'm a producer, a shooter, and an editor. Right. If I'm talking to you, then I'll probably still say that I'm an aspiring filmmaker still. Mm -hmm. Right.
1: Yeah.
0: I mean, I don't know when you, you, take out the aspiring label maybe it's maybe it's until you know you're always aspiring until you actually get paid to do it i don't know yeah
1: or you could just always be a filmmaker it's that's true it's on one you're either being paid and another end it's that's true it's yeah
0: you know but i mean i've always struggled with that though like i've always you know before fatherhood or whatever. I've always struggled kind of calling myself like an artist or you know, I feel comfortable around artists. Yeah. But um sometimes I I very much struggle with labeling myself as one. How come? Uh Maybe because I'm not prolific enough? I'm okay. not doing enough? sometimes I feel like I don't work at it hard enough Uh and and so that you know like and and not kind of being fully engaged in always trying to improve on my craft I think that's part of why I struggle with actually claiming that
1: I can feel that because I I, when I don't write that much anymore in terms of poems I don't write much of anything other than like grant reports and stuff but um When I was in in college when uh, at my most prolific in terms of writing poems whether they were good or bad um, I would read them out loud in front of people right which other people might say spoken word but when people would describe me as that I'm like nah I'm not really a spoken word person I just happen to write stuff and feel comfortable enough to share it with folks right I think a lot for the same reason that I wrote because well I, we have covered this because I was totally butthurt hurt about stuff but um, <laughs> butthurt hurt that's, that's loves the best. stuff that's the best
0: it's the best way
1: I mean it's the best motivation but yeah I, I, I had similar reasons for that because I didn't really I wasn't really dedicated to it it's like I wrote a lot I loved doing it I had our crew during my like last year and a half at Davis when we were just jamming on the this news group essentially our forum yeah that, that got co-opted into a creative space um, like we were throwing out like poems and key styles and all that stuff all the time and for me it was just fun as a way to express myself it was a you know yeah sometimes the object of the of affection was in the room so that added some kind of spice to it but um
0: Ooh.
1: if people said oh you're a spoken word artist I'm like nah oh you're a poet i'm like nah, i just write poems <laughs> i just write bad yeah th- i just write I, bad I think, th- I think, love poetry
0: <laughs> i think you and i are similar in that way where it's it's weird i it just doesn't feel right to claim it that's kind of the biggest thing about being a filmmaker or a director is just like Mm self-promotion is such a huge part of it, right? You got to put yourself out there and, and I don't feel comfortable with that. Um, I Mm -hmm. never really have. I was thinking about starting up like, uh, you know, my own YouTube channel where I'd like start doing vlogs and stuff. And I was like, and I've shot a couple of things, Mm
1: -hmm.
0: you know, and I'm just like, I don't feel right being in front of a camera like you know youtube's like yeah. a young man's game right and i'm just like this almost 40 year old dude trying to do it and it's just like it just it doesn't feel comfortable yet
1: you yeah. know what i
0: mean so, yeah i don't know
1: that's probably i mean it's a fresh thing to you and it's a little bit obviously it's a little bit of a different space yeah Um,
0: and you know and the other thing too is like you know so you were were talking about you know being in college and that's when you were like most prolific and it's because of who's around you right like mm -hmm. you know i'm a i'm a pretty much a stay-at-home dad and i'm you know interacting most with you know humans that are under four years old like most Mm -hmm. of the day right so and you know and even before fatherhood whatever right like maybe you're working and you're in a space where you're not engaging with other creative types or you may only engage with them at lunch because there's only two other people that are actually interested in what you're interested in at work. You know what I mean? Right. Right. So it's hard to kind of maintain the reps, right?
1: Right. Well, it goes back to something we were talking about the first on the first pod is that like for me, a hindrance to, my creative process is because I'm, I do more consumption and analysis of it than I do trying to create stuff.
0: Yeah. And it's, it's like it's, the only thing that we can do to just kind of feel part of it. Right.
1: Yeah. Right. right. And it, it's funny cause it's, there's this weird, and it, it's not really weird cause I think a lot of people who have some, have some reliance on creativity as part of their being, go through this all the time where it's like oh you read or watch or see something that is so dope that it inspires you but when you try to bring the pen to paper or image to life you're like dude i suck (laughs) right it's like yes
0: absolutely absolutely see this
1: epitome like i read these tom king um books or i've been reading um Brian the O'Malley's uh, Seconds book and I'm like man this graphic storytelling and writing it, it it's so good it's relatively simple like the the way that they're doing it but it's it's hell intimidating when you try to do anything like that when the last thing we should be doing is trying to compare ourselves to people who've successful. Been, yeah, exactly. Exactly.
0: <laughs> professionals have been doing it and for years and years and years, and they do it all know, the time. And most likely, gifted, right?
1: Yeah. So I, I, I feel you about the it not challenge of cre- of creating is not really having that voice as the creator because there's obviously. I know what I stand for, and I know the kind of stories I want to tell, but it doesn't necessarily come out. Let's say if I'm sketching something, um, I don't really feel like I have a a textural voice or a. a, um, And with writing now, it's just it's 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 get moving on it, and obviously it's because I don't do it all the time. I think I've been getting some bursts of inspiration with Malcolm around oh yeah yeah
0: in in what way
1: so you know I I don't speak Tagalog but then I I understand it I was for when I when we moved here uh-huh so and growing up my parents spoke to me in Tagalog so I understand elementary school Tagalog, like conversational Tagalog um, if I was forced to speak it I, I don't know if I could do it anymore but and then who knows how to speak Vietnamese but we're both really want, wanting Malcolm to to learn language
0: mm-hmm.
1: learn language skills just as a human being in multiple languages because it's one it's the easiest time to learn it and two, you know if you, develop language skills in multiple languages it's just it's so it's so uh great for development right right and then for us the other part is just you know main some connection back to the cultures that we we were brought up in i mean obviously we're 100 percent like culturally american because i mean that's who we are right there's hella layers to that obviously right for sure for sure our experiences so the whole creative piece is the tagalog children's books right Uh uh-huh and there aren't that many vietnamese i should say like filipino-american vietnamese-american tagalog um bilingual books Mm mm-hmm and there aren't that many Vietnamese bilingual books. I mean, we have some, I think we might have everything that they have on Amazon. That's like legit, like written as (laughs) that. Right. No, like translated in like some Dr. Seuss translated into Vietnamese. Right. Right.
0: Right. They're meant to be bilingual. Right. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And so, um, the other thing is I, I actually know how to speak more Spanish and basic Spanish and understand like, Mexican and Central American Spanish when it's spoken um, not completely but you know conversationally um, right, right. than I do actually with Tagalog so it's like oh I'd love to have um, help Malcolm be quadri <laughs> is that the word? Qua- quadrilingual
0: um, Quadrilingual
1: uh, at least in some basics of like obviously English Spanish Tagalog and vietnamese i mean i can't help with the vietnamese but hun can so like lately we've been one two threes and abc's and some like th- those like 100 first those
0: right right yeah uh
1: picture books um when i'm at my parents house i asked them to to in english and i've been trying to do that a little bit here not with so much of like some of the, some of the things because I think I still remember them in Tagalog, and then I would bust out Google Translate because at least on that level
0: it's accurate. It'll work, yeah.
1: So if we're doing like one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, 10, I would do it in Spanish, and then I would say in Tagalog, and then I would ask going to do it in Vietnamese. So that led me to this whole process of like, oh, it'd be really fun to write children's books that are like legitimately written to be by or multicultural and multilingual but simple books you know telling telling or just you know telling stories of kids that just happen to be multicultural like which most of our kids are growing up in, in the bay right Right. I want to do one for like where you do like 10 things and on each page there's 10 items of something and it's going to be, have all the four languages that I want him to learn.
0: What are you going to put on there? Like baseball, comic Um, comic book, um, wrestling. It's more like, I'm
1: trying to imagine like like, (laughs) (laughs) turnbuckle. What is guess? Um, no, uh, I'm trying to imagine like a first birthday, you know, like, oh um, yeah yeah yeah. i wouldn't write oh malcolm's first birthday but like some characters first birthday and then there's there's 10 costumes and then write costume in spanish vietnamese right yeah tagalog and english and then 10 would be all in the four languages you know but i haven't really put make much an, make an app it.
0: dude huh make an app And then you can actually, if you can make an app and then, um, and then you can upload different languages too. So you can maybe select, I don't know, maybe there's like 12 languages in there or whatever. And then like, yeah, you can select the four or three that you want. It's funny because, um, you know, I told that story last week about how Ginny learned how to put DVDs and into my like laptop, right? Yeah. So she was putting in the DVDs of this it's called the Preschool Prep Company DVDs where they're uh infant through toddler uh learning series where they talk about shapes, letters, numbers, colors, mm-hmm. all these different things, right? But uh, a few of these DVDs have the have it in Spanish. So she ended up opening up the menu, finding the Spanish one, and has been watching them, all right? So within like a week, she memorized <laughs> 1 through 10, all the shapes, actually maybe two weeks, all the shapes, circle, oval, rectangle, square, uh, triangle, yeah. all, that, all that stuff, and then colors, m- mostly the, the main colors, so she's going around and like, you know, speaking in English, but swapping out whatever Spanish word happens, you know, like she was uh, trying to describe Mickey Mouse No and she was like, oh yeah, go get the doll with the, um, with the Rojo shorts and, the uh, <laughs> Blanco dots. And then we were nice. just like, oh, you mean Mickey Mouse? And she's, uh-huh. And so it's pretty funny i think we're gonna have to we're gonna have to find more like spanish books or something because she seems to be into it dude
1: yeah she's trying to ask me questions
0: she's like how do you say like gray gray wasn't one of the words she's like how do you say gray and i'm like i forgot so i'm like doing google translate
1: google translate (laughs) yes that's cool man
0: yeah it's it's kind of weird i'm like okay we can we can go down this road.
1: Yeah, maybe that's one of the genie shorts. Her going around pointing out everything in Spanish and English. I know, right? <laughs> yeah, it, it's we, we we visited a daycare a couple weeks ago, and then there was this kid there, and he's been nannied by one of the people at that, that daycare since he was three months. Mhm. And at that daycare, it's completely Spanish immersion. Oh, dang. Um, which is pretty dope. And so that kid, he knows English and Spanish, obviously, because of daycare and in school. But at home, his parents speak German and Russian. So this kid, two years old, knows how to speak German, Russian. Whoa. And he can change easily. I'm like, dang, it's dope.
0: That is pretty dope.
1: I mean, whether they retain it, obviously, that's a whole other thing, but that's it, one. It's like I said, it, we've heard that it's tremendous for development, right? Um, but, you know, if it can be reinforced, you, can, you know, our kids can maintain the use of it for a while, especially like if they learn Spanish, they're going to be learning. They're going to be using Spanish for sure off and on throughout. I mean, wherever.
0: I think the um, next the next main language is probably going to be like Mandarin dude. I think it's going to be Mandarin. Yeah. Like that's going to be a huge uh skill.
1: Mhm. Well, in Russian. <laughs> <laughs> Until Chris Hemsworth um and, and Patrick Swayze protect us, but
0: <laughs> Oh man, I was going to ask you. That's a nice Red time. Dawn shout out, dude. thanks
1: I haven't watched either of them but I was like actually Chris Hemsworth would have been fighting the Mandarin speaking yeah initiatives
0: (laughs) and then uh, Patrick Swayze would be fighting the uh, Russian slash Cuban yeah yeah
1: oh you know what I have a question you know the shorts that you make with Ginny uh huh do you have the song first? Nope. Um, uh. so, how, so how do you go about picking that song?
0: Well, I think it depends on um, if I, it depends on where I want to host it. Like, so yeah. if I, you know, like I've as I've been doing, as I've been doing some research on my uh, YouTube channel, thinking about, what videos will monetize and what won't right like if i think i just kind of want to put it out there to not monetize Mm -hmm. then i will look i'm part of a record pool so i'll go to their site and look at i'll go look for different instrumentals Mm -hmm. of current stuff i'll have like a particular tempo in mind Mm -hmm. Uh, usually for these videos I'm, i'm kind of like around like 110 115 or so but for the last one I did I was like okay well let's kind of keep it slower because I knew I was going to be doing some slow-mo stuff and I thought that it would work better with something that as a slower tempo so I found like this hip-hop track that I liked I had no idea who it even was and then I liked it I was like okay I think I you know and then I'll, I'll bring it in then I'll do some editing to the track to just make sure that has like a little bit of an intro then goes and then the beat drops in and you know whatever yeah. so that's yeah. what i'll usually do nice
1: yeah i thought i was watching one of them like
0: i wonder if he had the song in mind first no i i don't you know i'll i'll kind of go in because sometimes i i don't i'll just bring the camera out because i'm like oh i just want to try something really quick mm-hmm. so you know it's usually whenever i go out to shoot a short there's something I want to test about my camera or my gear. Okay. And then I'll bring it in and I'll edit it, in, right? Yeah. So finding the music is just, you know, whatever I'm kind of feeling that day. And, you know, I'll download two or three tracks. I might lay lay them down and then just kind of see what seems to go best with it. And I think that's part of mm-hmm. practicing too. Um, is just seeing if the imagery matches, seeing if the tempo matches what you're trying to do. Yeah and i just i just have like a a bank of just random instrumentals that i've downloaded and so you know and sometimes i'll go to like soundcloud and look up royalty free and there's some really good stuff that's actually actually how i found some of the uh stuff for for this pods soundtrack too yeah
1: yeah so I, I was looking at creative commons and um depending on whatever their their attributes are or the um, the specific licenses I don't think it's. Well, gonna shout be shout out actually to <laughs> <laughs> the artisans, beats, and who is the other person that we, we that I've been using Anatech.
0: Yeah, shouts to that. Those are the Thank, artists. Thanks for producing royalty-free stuff. Yeah,
1: that appreciate we it. Use. We're not monetizing this, so we're all good with the license. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Do you have any other dad moment, or your dad moment of the week?
0: Oh, I do have one more dead moment, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, yeah, actually, yeah. Yeah. So uh, today, I realized that I'm like the bad guy now.
1: Yeah. How did you? Do, how did that happen?
0: So, so we're, uh, you know, we're at the dinner at the dining table um, earlier this afternoon, and you know, I'm asking Ginny to just kind of finish her lunch, and you know, she's she struggles to eat. She's it's the most annoying thing is like when you try to get them to eat and they won't listen to you. It's just, it's the worst, man. It's the worst. I think you, you guys yeah. will, I don't wish it upon you, but it'll probably happen to you guys.
1: It'll probably happen. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Um. So then, you know, I'm, I finished eating. I'm, I'm kind of like on my side. I'm on the computer at the dining table, just kind of right there. And um. Jenny's drinking like her milk. Mm-hmm. And then I think she, she spilled it. And then I hear her say, Grandma, can you help me wipe this so daddy doesn't get mad at me?
1: Well, uh, what?
0: <laughs> and I was like, What? And he's like She's like, Oh, nothing. Nothing. I was like, Did you spill? She's like, Mm-hmm. And I was like, Well, it's okay Ooh. if you spill, like it's an accident, it's okay. And then she yeah. barely spilled, like she's like a few drops like on her shirt or whatever. Yeah. And then she was like trying to tell grandma to wipe it to avoid me getting mad at her and i was like oh dude i'm so the bad guy now
1: (laughs) how 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 did it feel when you heard that when you processed that
0: oh i was crushed man i was crushed i was like oh dude it's been funny because like this week has been particularly rough i've been getting really frustrated with her yeah it was it was a rough week man it was a rough week But, yeah, the, the fact that she's got, like, the semblance of mind to, like, avoid avoid telling me certain things. Yeah. Ugh. I'm the bad guy.
1: Nah, man. You're just being a good parent.
0: <sighs> yeah. You know what I realized whatever, being around... You, whatever, man. You know
1: what I realized about, around being all the kids in in our friend group since there's, like, a whole village of them. There's
0: a whole mess of kids. Yeah.
1: It's not even a village. It's like a suburb of um, children. We as humans get shady real quick because of (laughs) self-preservation. Yeah. Like it's obviously a learned behavior but then there's this kind of like the psychological thing that I I, I obviously can't um, explain because I'm not there but or I'm also a psych- psychologist genius, but um, it's like kids will lie. Obviously not to be rude or whatever, but it's like self-preservation. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So, I mean, not that Ginny was lying, but she was, but her, her behavior was <laughs> like,
0: Oh, absolutely. I, oh, know, I know she does I lie want to be in trouble.
1: And actually, you know what? The other part of it is like, Oh, I don't want to be in trouble. And I also don't want, um, I want daddy to be happy with me.
0: Yeah. There's definitely you know I mean? that. It's definitely that.
1: So, I mean, it's, it's, it, it's still, a in a roundabout, hurtful, painful way. <laughs> Her yelling out, um, that she loves your love. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I was you crushed know? there, dude. I was gutted. I was like, yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. And then I just, I'm just like, yeah, I have come okay. to this realization. I'm, I'm just gonna be the bad guy now. And you know, like yeah. when you're home, I, I think this is what happens to whoever the primary caregiver is, right? Mm-hmm. They're the ones who have to be the bad cop because they're there for a longer period of yeah. time to see the when to see the bad things happen or the 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 disobedience and the yeah. defiance and you know, so yeah. Shout, shouts to those who are primary caregivers, whether you're stay at home, mm-hmm. mom, stay at home, dad, mm-hmm. nanny, grandparents. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: It, some other of our, um, friends, kids, there, there was a lot of challenges that they had because yeah, the, the main, Babysitters during work time is their success to the parents and so the grandparents obviously they're older and they're tired of disciplining kids and they're at a different place where they're like hey man hey my kid I'm just here to be the um to be loved by this kid (laughs) that's true I think it's really tough for parents to maintain their own norms
0: yeah it's it's It's, you know know, eight
1: hours a day nine hours a day they're getting something else
0: right and it's definitely hard when they live in the same house as you yeah you know
1: yeah yeah there's um with malcolm sometimes you know obviously he's a baby so he cries but there's certain things that we're doing to him like cutting his fingernails and he doesn't like it he starts crying or like earlier today i was putting um a jacket on him for a mm-hmm. walk yeah and he was crying and sometimes like i'm, I'm like sorry you know sorry not in like a, oh i'm so sorry but it's like sorry and then i go actually i'm not sorry sorry not sorry <laughs> <laughs> because it's for his like yeah you hate me i um, holding up your hands right now and cutting your fingernails but like dude you're gonna cut your freaking eye- eyebrows off tonight if yeah, i don't i for sure. Or like, if I don't put this jacket on, you gun you might get sick. So, sorry, not sorry. Sorry, not sorry. <laughs> like, sorry that I upset you, but really, I'm not really that sorry because I have to do
0: it. And well, that's when you just go, yeah. "Hey, suck it up, dude." Yeah. <laughs> okay. How about you, John? Do you have any uh, dead moments?
1: Uh, yeah. Actually, I I used one earlier, but then there's um, it's actually the topic we could have talked about but you know i, I said i was going to talk about the vision later
0: oh yeah 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 yeah. And
1: so i was reading it and you know in the story of vision he created his own family and they all look like cybernetic beings right they all look like him but with long hair or whatever and the dog too but um there's a part when something really sad is happening to the, the sun Who looks like a freaking robot right green skin red skin (laughs) right right. it's nothing like my son but i was reading it and for some reason it just kicked in like as i was reading it and had nothing to do with him even the content i totally saw him in it and it kind of caught me off guard i was like did i just see malcolm in this in this robot faces this cartoon comic book robots um face
0: was that the first time that's like
1: happened to you it's the first time that's happened oh. and you know it's different from like if you see a baby and you go oh that's cute i see, Malcolm does it all the time um that was the first time like it was completely out of nowhere i'm like whoa and and then the the story whatever happened in the story at that time even hit harder because of the- because of it, I'm like, dang, dang, fatherhood. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I'm starting to get a lot more of those like natural and in- natural reactions to things, because you know it's it's a process becoming a dad. No, it's, I agree. I agree. Just, I mean, it's a process of becoming a parent. Period. But I think for us, because you know, obviously we're not carrying, we're not feeding, or we're not breastfeeding, we're not. You know doing highly communicative what usually physical things with the baby for a long time yeah yeah that um and just as a human being it takes a while to for your brain to shift and go like oh i'm not just some good person i am now carrying a role that's much bigger than everything else that i carry and then the emotional part of that develops longer.
0: No, I feel you, dude. I feel you. Yeah. And that's funny. Like you're talking about how it hits you when you're, you know, consuming entertainment. It hella happens to me with movies too. More than yeah. like ever. Yeah. You know, test makes, fun. Have the- test makes fun of me because oh. I come like, like a robot when it comes to like emotional emotional scenes but there's definitely been some movies when i'm watching by myself where like there's a single tear that like rolls down because i'm i'm like it's like no nah, i think i can hold it in i can hold in this tear <laughs> and then just all of a sudden like a single tear just falls down nobody sees it Glor- though. nobody sees it
1: no one sees no one sees your denzel glory tear nope it's unfortunate
0: nope <laughs> But I told all three people that listen to this thing.
1: I know, I know. The secret's out. Yeah. But that random other third person. Yeah, let's be real, right, um, it's still a secret. Yeah. <laughs> I think people listen to it. Even Willie, who um, who we've called out two two weeks in a row or two two episodes in a row. We haven't really called them out on this one. But we'll we'll get them twice in the next episode.
0: There you go. Yeah, all right. So, once again, thank you for joining the two of us on the Pop Culture podcast. Next time, I think it's probably going to be about Moonlight, right? I'll make sure to watch it by then.
1: It yeah, if you watch it, I think we should I think I'll try to I want to watch it. I'm going to actually buy it. I don't, I need to support that film and the whole crew.
0: Yeah, that that's cool. That's exactly why I bought it actually like i was like oh, I, was, I was gonna rent it yeah. whenever the test was free and then i was like oh you know what? i'm just gonna buy it because yeah. i want to support them
1: so yeah i just bought about to get out last night for the same reason
0: oh okay that's cool that's cool um so uh, yeah
1: well we're gonna jump into that um again thank you whoever you are that one person for listening um, and Willie, I guess yeah, like, I, I know you're going to listen for us to
0: call you out yeah, I appreciate uh, everyone just kind of bearing with us as we kind of get the hang of this podcast thing and yeah, you know, we look forward to just kind of growing both as dads and as podcast creators and, you know hope we can share our experiences with everyone cool. um, so you can hit us up on Twitter that's yeah. uh, at Papa Culture Pod and follow us. Follow us on SoundCloud too. Mm-hmm. Shoot, it's, I, forgot, uh, I forgot to check what that was.
1: It's soundcloud.com slash Papa culture.
0: Right on. All right, so we'll catch everyone next time. All right, thank you.